Hello, everyone, and welcome to the April 30 edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd, Skarin, Mnookin, and Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our crime report. A Modesto physician, 71-year-old Sawatara Kumar Chopra, was arrested at his home in Modesto, California. He was indicted on 22 counts by a federal grand jury in Fresno and charged with prescribing opioids to patients outside the usual course of professional practice and not for a legitimate medical purpose. Chopra allegedly illegally prescribed highly addictive, commonly abused prescription drugs, including hydrocodone, alprazolam, which is known as Xanax, and a codeine syrup. If convicted, he faces a maximum statutory penalty of 20 years in prison. This is Dr. Chopra's second run-in with the law. Back in 2002, he was charged with violating federal kickback laws when prosecutors claimed he knowingly solicited and received kickbacks for referring some of his patients to family medical home. He was paid $2,500 per month plus a percentage of family home profits, and he also received basketball tickets to the Sacramento Kings games in exchange for his referral of patients. In May of 2002, he pled guilty to the one count filed against him. Disciplinary charges were filed against him by the California Medical Board in 2002 as a result of his conviction, and the next he agreed to a stipulated disciplinary order. This new criminal case is a product of an investigation by the California Department of Justice, the DEA, the FBI, and the IRS criminal investigation. 75-year-old Dr. Edward Ridgill, a doctor who operated a medical clinic in Linwood, was sentenced to 60 months in federal prison for illegally issuing prescriptions mostly to young patients who paid cash. During the sentencing hearing, the federal judge Otero said, With all due respect to Dr. Ridgill, he's not a doctor. He has a license to practice, but he is not practicing medicine. The judge noted that Regil's prior history of improperly writing prescriptions, which, according to the judge, revealed that he has not learned his lesson from the past. Sentencing follows a one-week trial late last year in which a jury found him guilty of 26 felony counts of illegally distributing controlled substances. Prosecutors presented evidence that Dr. Regill illegally prescribed the opioid painkiller hydrocodone, which is often sold under the brand name Norco, Alprazolam, also known as Xanax, and Carispodol, a muscle relaxer sold under the brand name Soma. Young patients traveled from places as far away as Victorville, Palmdale, and Desert Hot Springs to his clinic in order to obtain prescriptions from him. According to a sentencing memorandum filed by prosecutors, his illegal drug business enabled him to work a mere three hours a day at his Linwood office in exchange for significant amounts of cash. During the trial, the jury heard that in 2014 alone, he wrote nearly 9,000 illegal prescriptions, typically for the maximum strength. Jurors also heard testimony about undercover DEA operatives who received prescriptions from the doctor in exchange for cash. 
In 2014, Dr. Regill physically deposited more than $175,000 in cash. The testimony showed that his initial physical exams were cursory and far from the type of exam required to justify prescribing high doses of controlled substances. The jury deliberated for only 30 minutes last December before finding him guilty of all 26 counts. And a Los Angeles Police Department officer assigned to the Van Nuys Station is facing allegations of workers' comp fraud. A felony arrest warrant had been issued for 43-year-old officer John Bailey, who was taken into custody. The warrant stemmed from an investigation by the LAPD Special Operations Division Workers' Compensation Fraud Unit into a medical claim filed by Officer Bailey in early 2018. Bailey is accused of knowingly committing workers' comp fraud and receiving benefits under false pretenses. He lives in San Bernardino County and was jailed in lieu of $60,000 bail. There have been several arrests made within the LAPD for workers' compensation fraud just this year. In March, felony charges were filed against retired LAPD officer in an alleged workers' compensation fraud case. 56-year-old former officer Terry Johns was arrested by detectives with the department's Internal Affairs Division. A criminal complaint accused Johns of eight counts, including workers' compensation insurance fraud, insurance fraud, and attempted perjury under oath. The arrest was made after an undercover surveillance investigation in which detectives were sent to see if the ex-officer was really injured, as he had claimed in official documents. And in January, a nine-year veteran of the LAPD, whose last assignment was with the Valley Traffic Division, was arrested on suspicion of workers' comp fraud. 48-year-old Jason Gordon of Los Angeles County was arrested in January on a felony arrest warrant related to workers' compensation fraud and attempted perjury. And also in January, 51-year-old Gerald Pulley, an 18-year-old city employee last assigned to the LAPD's Records and Identification Division, was charged with one count of workers' compensation fraud after exaggerating the extent of his injuries while receiving money from the department. And 55-year-old Toshambi Anderson of Grand Prairie, Texas, was sentenced to 120 months in federal prison and ordered to pay over $26.5 million in restitution for a scheme to fraudulently obtain more than $26 million from the Department of Labor, Office of Workers' Compensation Programs. Anderson has been in custody since the time of his arrest in August 2015 and pleaded guilty in 2017 to one count of conspiracy to commit health care fraud. He agreed to forfeit $375,000 seized from his residence, a 2015 Mercedes, and his share of over $8.3 million that was seized from 25 bank accounts. His sister, 63-year-old Lydia Bankhead, his wife, 47-year-old Brenda Anderson, and his niece, 30-year-old Lydia Taylor were also charged in the indictment and pleaded guilty to their roles in the scheme. Zombie Anderson worked as an attorney 
for Union Treatment Centers, and his wife Brenda Anderson opened a durable medical equipment company called Best First Administration. Best First Administration was formed initially to provide DME to patients referred from Union Treatment Centers. He then opened Union Medical Supplies and Equipment and another company, SkyCare Medical Supplies and Equipment. The companies were created in order to submit claims that were inappropriate to the Office of Workers' Compensation Programs. The same medical information was used and billed to the same universe of claimants for duplicate, unwanted durable medical equipment that was not medically necessary using outdated medical information. Cash was laundered through business accounts for a shell company called American Federal Union Claims Advocates, as well as accounts associated with his law office. Security researchers at Symantec say a group of hackers has been targeting firms related to health care. Symantec has identified a previously unknown group called Orange Worm, that has been observed installing a custom backdoor Trojan within large international corporations that operate within the healthcare sector in the United States, Europe, and Asia. Orange Worm has also conducted targeted attacks against organizations in related industries as part of a larger supply chain attack in order to reach their intended victims. Known victims include healthcare providers, pharmaceuticals, IT solution providers for healthcare, and equipment manufacturers that serve the healthcare industry. Orange Worm does not select its targets randomly or conduct opportunistic hacking. Instead, the group appears to choose its targets carefully and deliberately, conducting a good amount of planning before launching an attack. Almost 40% of Orange Worm's confirmed victim organizations operate within the healthcare industry. The malware was found on machines which had software installed for the use and control of high-tech imaging devices such as X-ray and MRI machines. The exact motives of the group are unclear. Once Orange Worm has infiltrated a victim's network, they deploy a backdoor Trojan that provides the attackers with remote access to the compromised computer. The backdoor collects some rudimentary information about the compromised computer, including some basic network adapter information, system version information, and language settings. Orange Worm likely uses this information to determine whether the system is a high-value target. Once Orange Worm determines that a potential victim is of interest, it proceeds to aggressively copy the backdoor across open network shares to infect other computers. At this point, the attackers proceed to gather as much additional information about the victim's network as possible. And in regulatory news, CMS announced it may require that hospitals post charge information as part of the proposed 2019 inpatient perspective payment system rule. And price transparency that drives down medical costs can only be good news for the workers' compensation industry. Few hospitals nationally offer patients accurate, individualized information about how much they'll have to pay for medical services. 
The Affordable Care Act already mandates publishing charges, but the provision has not been enforced. Their proposed rule would require hospitals to post a list of their current standard charges online in a machine-readable format by January 1, and to update the information annually. CMS officials said the new requirements are part of the Trump administration's efforts to encourage patients to become better educated decision makers. And it says this is just the beginning of a price transparency initiative. Hospitals are required to disclose prices publicly, but the latest change would put that information online in machine-readable format that can be easily processed by computers. It may still prove to be confusing to consumers, however, since standard rates are just like list prices and do not reflect what insurers and government programs pay. Experts say simply posting inflated retail prices as listed on a hospital's charge master will not be helpful to most patients. And the Department of Industrial Relations has posted on its fraud prevention webpage public documents on which the DIR relied in flagging Lynn claimants as potentially subject to Labor Code Section 4615. This Labor Code section places an automatic stay on liens filed by or on behalf of physicians and providers who are criminally charged with certain types of fraud. The automatic stay prevents those liens from being litigated or paid while the prosecution is pending. The IR flags liens in its Division of Workers' Compensation Electronic Adjudication Management System as potentially subject to the stay, and a full list of lien claims with flag liens is posted now online. And in medical news, the National Council on Compensation Insurance published its first article on a series focused on opioids. This series is aimed at exploring three viewpoints on issues surrounding opioid use and workers' compensation, those of doctors, insurers, and workers' compensation regulators. NCCI conducted interviews with professionals from each of these areas, and the articles in this series reflect their opinions on the topic. In this first of three-part series, it reported on the views from several doctors in the work comp system. The physicians it interviewed agreed that it is the responsibility of the treating practitioner to prescribe opioids with care and to use evidence-based guidelines. These guidelines outlined when to prescribe opioids as well as recommend the appropriate drug dosage. When prescribing an opioid, the treating physician must provide the patient with an accurate diagnosis, honest communication, and clinical expertise. However, in recent years, prescribers have come under scrutiny for prescribing excessive amounts of opioid painkillers, and as a result, they are more careful now in their practices. The doctors that were interviewed also agreed that narcotics in general, and opioids specifically, became a first line of treatment for pain management. And only recently has there been careful evaluation of the potential for addiction and overdose. Like most epidemics, the beginning is only clear in hindsight. According to the physician, significant marketing efforts to promote opioids and what may be characterized by some as controversial scientific research 
began a cultural shift for many physicians, starting with a study in the mid-1980s that addressed the use of opioids for pain relief. The physician said that seemingly a new culture formed around the practice of pain management. That culture was further propelled in 2001 when the Joint Commission released new pain management standards, including the idea that pain is a vital sign, like body temperature and heart rate. These new standards perpetuated the notion that pain must be treated. It no longer needed to be just endured. Pain itself was now viewed as a disease, and opioids became the supposed low-risk cure. Within the workers' compensation system, claimants in the coal industry became some of the first to feel the effects of these deemed miracle drugs. Doctors and industries in West Virginia and Kentucky became the target of opioid marketing efforts. Those receiving the sales pitches were assured that new formulas for the extended-release opioid products were less likely to become habit-forming or result in addiction. Additionally, certain groups cashed in on not only dispensing huge quantities of opioids and other addictive drugs, but some doctors even scheduled visits with patients from out of state. And in other industry news, the largest U.S. manager of prescription benefits is telling drug makers that the current pricing model is broken. And it is taking aim at Amgen and other makers of new migraine medicines to try and fix it. Express Scripts is pressing them to forego the usual strategy of setting a high U.S. list price, then lowering the cost for health plans through hefty rebates. It is also seeking a refund if the drugs do not work within a defined time frame. The shift could help Express Scripts and other pharmacy benefits managers to bring prices down and deflect growing criticism of their role as middlemen in the drug supply chain. Express Scripts is advising drug makers to take that shift into account as they launch a new class of migraine drugs. Amgen's Amovig is expected to be approved next month, followed by similar drugs from Teva Pharmaceutical Industries and Eli Lilly and Company. Wall Street analysts expect Amgen to announce a list price of up to $10,000 per year for Amovig once it is approved, setting the tone for competitors. But Express Scripts and other PBMs restrict access to new drugs they deem too expensive, asking doctors to provide detailed evidence of why a specific patient may benefit from the new drug. Express Scripts is also pushing Amgen and its peers to refund two-thirds of the cost of a migraine drug if the patient stops treatment within 90 days because it did not work or caused major side effects. Such guarantees are becoming more prevalent for older drugs with competing products on the market, including diabetes and hepatitis C therapies. Smaller PBM um, Abarca Health and insurer Highmark Health said they were adopting similar tactics to Express Scripts in negotiating coverage for migraine drugs. Teva said it was evaluating the pricing environment for its migraine drug. Imbruvica, a compound that treats wide white blood cell cancers, has been a bargain at $148,000 a year. 
Until now, doctors have been able to optimize dosage for each patient by prescribing up to four small-dose pills of it per day. But after results from a recent small pilot trial indicated that smaller doses would for most patients work as well as the large ones, its manufacturer Janssen and Pharmalytics has decided on the basis of the doctor's interest in smaller doses to reprice all sizes of the drug to the price of its largest size. This has the effect of tripling the price for patients and doctors have now put off any plans for further testing of lower dosages. A group of cancer doctors focused on bringing down the cost of treatments by testing whether lower and cheaper doses were effective. The science behind Imbruvica suggested that it could work at low doses and early clinical evidence indicated that patients with chronic lymphatic leukemia might do just as well on one or two pills a day after completing an initial round of treatment at three pills a day. The researchers set out to test whether the lower dose was just as effective and could save patients money. Then they learned of a new pricing strategy by Janssen and Pharmalytics, the companies that sell Imbruvica through partnership. Within the next three months, the companies will stop making the original 140 milligram capsule and will instead offer tablets in four strengths, each of which has the same flat price of about $400 or triple the original cost of the pill. Just as scientific momentum was building to test the effectiveness of lower doses, the new pricing scheme ensures dose reductions will not save patients money or erode companies' revenue from selling the drug. In fact, patients who have been doing well on a low dose of the drug would now pay more for their treatment. And that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. We also publish a daily flash briefing on the Amazon Alexa Echo platform. Search for Workers' Compensation News on Amazon. Again, I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd Scarin Manukian Langeman. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.